God's word to us this morning is from Esther chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Indra. Sounds like the kids are having a blast out there. Y'all hear that? It's amazing. Um, one, of the, one of the things that we do every single week is that we do spend a moment in silence. I think one of the, the primary tasks of the church today, um, one of the goals I, I see in our culture right now, is to simply get God to uh, have his people do less. 
um, to stop and to cease all things and, and remember that he's here with you. That's been the thing that's, that's been pressing in on me as I, as I think about you guys, as I think about myself. The thing, the thing that always confuses me about my life is that I, for, I forget God so quickly. And one of the, the main things about being a human is to remember God. That's what Adam is called, Zakar, which means to remember. At the very beginning, we forget God. And so that's why we pray. We're bringing into our awareness that God is, God is here and despite what you may believe or not believe, if you believe in Jesus or you don't, the testimony of Christianity is that you are brought here for such a time as this, to image God right now. And that's what we always forget. And so prayer is remembering that. Prayer is remembering that God's here with you, and we're about to encounter him in his word together. And so let's sit in a moment of silence and take a deep breath and uh, prepare ourselves to listen to God. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have existed from all eternity, and you brought this creation into being. You sustain all that comes to pass. You, by your providence, have brought us here to this moment to hear from you. And Lord, we're so used to stepping into action and getting going and, and doing things for you, but that's not what this time is about. What this time is about is for you to show us what you've done for us and for us to release all of that, all, all that which we think about you, which, which predominantly is wrong, and for you to correct our, our sight by the Holy Spirit of who you actually are in Scripture. And Lord, the self keeps getting in the way. The self constantly is relentless, and until we die, the self won't stop. But you, Lord, by, by Jesus Christ and by the Spirit reveal, revealing Jesus Christ to us, allows us to release control of our uh, ability to understand, of our ability to comprehend. And so now, Lord, I, I pray that you would speak to your servants. Many of us here in this room um, don't understand you. Many of us here, uh, when we hear Scripture, we're like, we don't get it. And that's exactly where you want us to be right now, so that you can speak clearly. So would you do that right now? In Christ's name, amen. The, the night of... My own conversion to Christianity, I was 17. I remember my brother had been pressing in on the reality of what the gospel meant for me for a couple of years. And I, self I grew up in the church, and I did the thing, and I walked down the aisle, and I tried to get right with God. I tried to correct my life, and I didn't feel an internal change. And so for, for years, I had said, I don't, I don't believe it, and I don't believe what the church teaches or what the Bible teaches because it doesn't work. And my brother, and my brother knew that, and he knew that I was walking away from God, and so he started trying to share the gospel with me when I was in high school. And then the night that I converted, he came into my room, and I still very vividly remember his demeanor. Uh, he had, in some ways, stopped trying 
to convert me and to pray for me. Uh, and I felt his sense of release of me. And he said, you know, Matt, I was reading this verse in Romans 4 that says, God is able to bring into existence the things that don't exist. And so I'm not worried about you anymore. And that is the night that I converted to Christianity, that God, God made me alive. But what was interesting is I look back on it in retrospect is that the Lord was working on him too. That in, he was, as a Christian, the Lord was changing him and how he wanted me to change. And that started with his grief, with his sadness, with a sense of loss that he couldn't do it. And one of the, one of the ironic things about life, and you guys know this as you think about change that happens in your own life, change does not happen by force. Y'all know this. Change does not happen by willpower or trying to make somebody feel afraid or guilty, but, but true internal change, it always starts with grief, with a sense of loss, with a sense of giving up. And Jesus was very clear about that. Jesus said, if you want to gain your life, you must lose it. That's part of the whole point. And what we're going to see here in, in our text today is that Mordecai is inviting Esther to be changed by the gospel. That's what Mordecai is doing in our passage. And it starts with an invitation in verse 1 through 3, an invitation to grieve. He's asking Esther to get proximate to other people's pain, specifically the Jewish people. And he's asking her to grieve. And this chapter is about how Esther responds to that grief. And in that process, what begins to happen with Esther is that she, she understands and she realizes the purpose of her life, the purpose of herself, which is to be given away to God and to others. And so we'll, we'll look at that under these three points. What's the purpose of the self? To release, to restrain, and to resolve are the three points. And so the first is relief. My guess is, is that there is something currently in your life that you have a grip on that's in this world, that you have a, a grip on very tightly and you don't want to let it go. And the reason you don't want to let it go is because some form of your identity, some form of yourself has attached its meaning to this thing that you have a hold on. And if you let it go, you don't know what's going to happen. For Esther, starting in verse 4, it seems like that thing that she had a grip on was her safety and comfort. She was inside the palace of the king. She was inside the city gate. And she was not aware of, of the law that was passed on the Jews, which was annihilation. And so when she hears that Mordecai had ripped his clothing in, his, in sackcloth, she's like, well, I need, to get, I need to get him some new clothes. And so she, <laughs> she sends him some new clothes. And he, he's like, I don't, I don't need new clothes. I need you to begin to grieve and understand what's going on with your people. You're a Jew, Esther. It appears that she, she was like so oblivious because she was not near the grief of her people, of God's people. And so she sent one of the king's eunuchs to go find out more. And old Mordecai is up there in the city square openly talking about the injustice of the law that was passed and how now money is involved in verse 7. 
And so he tells this eunuch, he says, I want you to go back and tell Esther all that's happening here and that she needs to go up into the palace of the king and plead on behalf of the Jews. Verse 8. Now, so far in this story, she has not made her ethnicity known. The king doesn't even know that she's a Jew. She had been quietly living in the palace for several years, and she has come to a moment in her life where, and I don't, maybe, you have, maybe you have had this moment in your life, maybe it's now, where she is called to release something that she holds dear for her, it's safety and her position, and cast her lot with the Jewish people. And she knows that that's going to cost everything. And you can see how dangerous this is to her. In verse 11, she says, you know, if anyone enters the king's court without being summoned, this is the law, they're going to be killed. The only person that isn't killed is if he holds out the golden scepter. And he hasn't called for me in 30 days. You know, she was beautiful. Esther was very beautiful, and she delighted the king. But it had been a while. And she feared what might happen if she went to him. And then in verse 13 and 14, the most quoted passage in all of Esther, Mordecai says to her, don't think that you're going to escape just because of your position. You and your father's house will perish if you don't speak up. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Uh, The whole story hinges here. She's confronted with the question, um, what, is, what is the purpose of your life, Esther? What is the purpose of the self? Now, if you're a modern person, which I am, and I read this text, I feel quite bad for Esther because I'm like, she didn't have any control over her life to begin with. She was unethically treated. She was placed in this position beyond her control. And now Mordecai is saying, you have to give up your life, the life that you never had to control over to begin with. And the answer to whether that, that's what he's actually saying or not is a- absolutely yes. That's the calling of a human being. There's a, a lady named Elizabeth Elliot. She was watching a sheep herder in Wales um, use a sheepdog to basically rein in some, some sheep. And she asked the shepherd, does, does the sheepdog know what's going on? And she said, the, the shepherd said that the, the sheepdog doesn't understand the pattern. The only thing the sheepdog knows is obedience. And then she said this peculiar thing. She says, and the name of the dog was Max. She said, Max was in his glory, the dog. He obeys the shepherd instinctually, even though he doesn't understand what's going on. Now, I I want you to remember, if you were here last week, Yinka said something very profound at the call to worship. You may remember it, but he said, animals don't have a hard time being animals. Uh, But human beings have a hard time being humans because we bear the image of God and we don't know how to do it. Animals don't have that problem. And here's the question that we all need to ask, whether we're religious or not. This is what's shaping culture. This is what affects everything. What does it mean to be a human? 
Whether we know it or not, that shapes everything about how the world is progressing. What does it mean to be a human? Now, I'm going to quote something to you, and I want you to hang with me, okay? I want you to think about what this theologian is saying, because I think it's very, very, very important. He says, in the conscious, voluntary acceptance of dependence on God, we human beings arrive at our greatest freedom. We become human to the degree that we are children of God. This is what Esther is confronted with by Mordecai. He's asking her, are you a child of God? And if you are, it has everything to do with this thing that you're clinging to. And we all got this thing. Are you a child of God? Are you among God's people? Are you, are you an image of him? And guys, this is, why, this is why our mission statement is that we're constantly being changed by the gospel. That goes for non-Christians, those who just became Christians, and those who are at the end of their life. This stuff doesn't end. This stuff doesn't end of us gripping things in this world that we know we're going away. It's going to die. It's going to go into the dust. But we grip. There is an Anglican bishop in the Rocky Mountain Diocese. He was talking about how he had trouble letting go at his wife's deathbed. And he said, you know, she was, when she was dying, she was so further along than I was. And she was encouraging him to let go because she had. Not just of like her physical life, but she had let, she had let go to God. And, and he said it was, it was clear that I was clinging to her and desperately not wanting this to happen. And this is what Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot says, who had lost two husbands herself. She said, we must become like Max, the sheepdog, who instinctively obeys the voice of the shepherd, even though we don't understand. Even though it doesn't make sense. And guys, what God wants us to do right now, what he wants all of us to do, no matter where we are with him, is that he wants us to release our grip on how we think things ought to be. You're looking at your life, and there's about maybe 10 things, you know, on the, on the stove. I often think of my life as like a stove that has like four burners. Four things can only overflow at, at a given time, you know. But let's say you have, let's say you have 10, and there, there, your mind goes, well, that, that ought not to be there. Fix it. Let's do things. Let's implement change. And God wants you to stop and say, in, in, in the providence of your, of your life and my plan, those things are there so that you would release control and come to him. This is Esther, what, what she's confronted with, with Mordecai. She, she's asking the question, well, do I want to cast my lot in with this God or not? And you may at this point say, you know, that's really hard to do. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. Or you may say, I can see your point. I can see that I have gripped things in this life that I know aren't going to actually provide and aren't going to actually like produce what I want my heart, you know, what, what my heart wants it to produce. And what I want to say at that point is 
I want you to look at the text and look at what Esther does, because if you're anything like me, you can hear things in God's word and you can be around God's people. You can enter a worship space and you're like, oh, yeah, like I do need I do need to release control of my life to God. And that, that makes a lot of sense. And that makes a lot of sense why myself is like so anxious and having existential crises because I'm not like not submitting to him. And when you are sane in these moments, what you have to do is put in practices to restrain the self. You, ha- you have to implement things in community that remind you that God is real. Because if you are like me, when Monday starts, you forget this stuff, right? You go back to thinking like, ah, I need this thing or I, I got to perform. And that's what Esther does. In verse 15 through 16a, she gathers the people and she says, okay, Gather everybody in Susa, all the Jews, and, and have them fast. And I will fast for three days, night and day. And we need to rely on God here. Now, I want to talk about fasting just for a moment. Fa- fasting uh, is an ownership of your dependence in a given situation. It's saying in a concrete or tangible felt way, it's, it's sort of like the uh, embodiment of the gospel because what you're saying is, I can't do this in my own strength. And addicts know this, by the way. Addicts know that they can't do it in their own strength and they, they need concrete boundaries and people that come around and say, we're with you. But also, if you're a parent, if you're a pastor, or if you're a young person and you're in love with somebody that doesn't love you back, and somebody comes and says, well, just, it, it's okay, you'll, you'll be fine. Like, you can't just be fine in your own strength. And so fasting is, is calling on God to say, God, I, I need you in this grief, in this loss that I'm feeling, in this thing that's beyond me, I need you to sustain me and fuel me just as much as I need food. And Mordecai confronts Esther, and he's like, look, if you keep silent, and you try to stay alive, you're going to die eventually. And he backs her into a corner. And I don't know if anybody's ever backed you into a corner like that, where you're like, okay, that, that's true. I need, I need to decide right now, am I going to own up to being God's child or not? Fasting is an intentional practice in particular seasons of your life where you're saying in a very physical way, I can't do it. Self, I, I cannot survive without help. Self, I, I'm not autonomous. And it's, it's humbling, you guys, when something is snatched away from you in life and you realize just for a split moment, like, I was never in control to begin with. And fasting helps you remember that rhythmically in your life. Esther also asks others to be be doing this with her because she needs community. She, she knows her limits, she knows her weaknesses, and so she needs other people. And so after three days, she's fasting with all the people, and she says, okay, verse 16, I'll go into the king, even though it's against the law, and if I die, I die. And she resolves to obey. And in that moment, everything changes. Everything changes in the whole story. But I guarantee you, for Esther, in that moment, 
it felt terrifying. It felt dangerous. It felt unnatural. And here's what y'all need to know about change and about what the scriptures call repentance. That's what it feels like at first. It feels terrible. Because it feels like you're putting on clothes that don't fit or you're, you're like going somewhere without knowing the plan. But the beautiful thing about once you make that step and you say, okay, I don't know how to do this, but I'm, I'm going to step out and, and try to rely on God. The moment that happens, you guys, even though it's scary, you can feel the self moving to the background. You can feel the self getting out of the way and moving towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's because pride is dying. The pride that says, self, you better stay in control. You better know the plan before you move forward. The self gets in the background and is looking to God. And the self says, always, the self says, show me the pattern before I obey. And I'll only obey if it makes sense to me. But God intends you, God intends for you to become to become someone that listens to his voice simply because you are his child. He's not waiting on you to get it. He's not waiting on you to understand. And what he wants is for you to just listen to him because of his character. And of course you're not going to understand fully. You're not him. You, you can't see what the shepherd sees. Now, the shepherd sees the cliff, you know. The sheep don't know there's a cliff coming. The dog doesn't know there's a cliff coming. But he does. And within his providence, he's brought you to this very moment. And he's pressing in on those things that you really want and, and you don't have that you're gripping onto, and he wants to hone in there. And he wants to tell you, you've come to this place for such a time as this to release that. So resolve to do it. Right now, say, God, I, I give that to you. Verse 16, do what Esther does. If I perish, I perish. Anselm of Canterbury, um, he's, you know, he coined this famous phrase. He says, faith seeking understanding. And what he meant by that is, I don't seek to understand so that I can have faith but I believe in order to understand. Now, let me, let me tell you how I've seen that in your life already. With many of you in this congregation, some of you have been on that deathbed yourself. Some of you have seen your loved ones that could be on that deathbed. And I have seen it in your spirit, in your soul. You actually feel closer to God in those moments when things are out of control. You actually sense in high definition that all this stuff is true. And what's hard is when you go back to normal life and you start doing well. And when the rug is stripped out from under you, you're like, oh my gosh, like God's real. And it's hard. the reason why that's the case is because of the gospel. Because the gospel isn't about your comprehension. Are you like believing really well or believing really hard? Like Esther was scared. She wasn't like this bastion of courage. Mordecai pushed her into a corner. I've seen y'all in the hospital be like, this stuff is real. The challenge is the Monday through Friday when we're not at the doctor, <laughs> when we're not at the hospital, when things are smooth. 
when things are successful, whatever success is. Look, y'all, most of us, we all do this. Because we are human beings that sin, most of us come to God and we say, I'll follow you if it makes sense to me. I'll follow you if it's a good investment. If I get something out of this. And y'all, I mean, this is the way, this is the way we function. If it's not worth our time and energy, like we're immediately out. And God says, you, you know I don't work like that. <laughs> He's God. He's the pilot. Notice uh, the genius way in which Mordecai makes this point with Esther, his rationale to Esther. Look, he, do, he doesn't say, look, if you don't risk your life, um, or he, he doesn't say, uh, if you do this, Esther, you're going to have a great story to tell. I know it's going to be risky, but you'll come out on the end, other end and you'll have a, a wonderful story to tell. What does he appeal to? And this is very easy to miss. He draws her attention to God's character. If you look at your text, he says, look, if you don't do this, Esther, God's going to raise somebody else up to fulfill what he wants you to fulfill in your life. And what he's doing is that he's appealing to God's covenant promise to protect and bless the people of Israel, the people of Abraham. Y'all remember Abraham and Sarah? You remember what happened? God's promise to Abraham and Sarah is that he's going to give them a son. And do you know what they did when they heard God's word? They laughed because it was scientifically and sexually impossible for them to have a child. And that's what we do when we hear the gospel. It's laughable because it's so ridiculous. And that's where God wants you to make a joyful fool out of you because his word is crazy. And there's no way that you could do it on your own. And that's exactly where Esther is. She's like, okay. (laughs) Guys, what if every single detail of your life has led you and is leading you to make that conclusion? That like there's no way out of this unless God shows up in a way that's like impossible. God wants you to play a part in what he's doing, but he can use somebody else. And that's cool too. Either way, he's good on his word. And so the question is, do you want to get in on what God's doing? Or do you want to be anxious and afraid and sad? This story is about God. even though his name was nowhere to be found. And what happened with Esther is that she finally realized, oh, he's at work here. Even though I don't hear Christian language, even though I don't see him, he's at work, and I am his image. Like you, you may still be sitting here thinking, you know, I don't know if I am willing to sacrifice myself for others in God. And uh, God knows that. That's why Jesus came. Jesus was numbered among us sinners. 
He was named not God's people so that we could be named God's people. His lot was cast with us so that we could be numbered with his righteousness. And y'all, he never ever acted selfishly. And this is the very tricky thing about the Bible. It's not, it's not about us. It's about God. It's about Jesus. This is why I used to always read the story of the, the Good Samaritan. And, and I hated that story because it would either make me feel self-righteous if I had like helped out a homeless person that day or make me feel really guilty if I didn't. You know? And I, the reason why that made me feel terrible is because I was thinking that it was about me. And it's about Jesus. And that's what Esther is about. Esther is about Jesus. And, and th- this is part of how the allure of the self begins to die, is when you begin to think consciously of your life that, like, I don't belong to myself. And the moment that I realize that and begin to implement things that release my idea of what I think I'm supposed to do and what I think life is supposed to be, and I say, okay, God, you do what you want to with me. That's the moment that freedom comes in. That's the moment that you begin to tap into resurrection life. And you may be like, I'm not ready to do that. That's okay. Esther wasn't ready. And she was pushed into a corner and she'd be like, you got to decide. I remember talking after a worship service with a brother outside of these steps who is no longer living. And I said, hey man, when are you going to come to Jesus? And he's like, I, I, I'm not ready. And I said, if you wait till you're ready, you're never going to come at all. That's the whole point. Come to him even though you're not ready. And the moment you do that is the moment that you begin to kill the self, which says, I got to prepare to God. I got to be something before I come to this table. I got I to polish up before I come to God. It's like, God's like, no, I see you. I know who you are. And that's why I sent Jesus. Jesus is the only faithful sheepdog that there is who instinctually obeys. And when he, when he dies for you, that's how God sees you. Instinctually obeying him all the time. That's what it means to be united in our identity to Christ. That he is our self. And that's what your life is about. To ultimately get, get subsumed into his what's called glory, so that you may be one with him, even as he is one with God. Because Jesus came, you guys, he blew open the invitation for all the Esthers of the world to come to him with all of our half-hearted obedience. And so, you may be like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I believe. Uh, you may be like, I've been a Christian my whole life, and I still doubt all the time. Um, what this time is meant for is for you to come to Jesus and to turn to him and say, I have not been living like I should be living. I have not been believing like I should be believing, and that's the purpose of Jesus Christ. And he invites you. He's like, well, do you want to you experience what it's like to be my child? And become like Esther and say, okay, whatever that means, let's try it on. It'll be like clothes that don't fit, but let's try. 
Let's pray and come to this table and seek to put that into practice. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for stories like Esther. And it's beautiful, Lord. It's beautiful what she did and how this changed her life. But ultimately, it's uh, it's a drop in the bucket compared to Jesus. Lord, you, um, you give us a self. And the moment we release the grip that we have on so many things, like Lord, if we had multiple hands, we would grip multiple things besides you. And you know that about us. And Lord, you are so beautiful. You are so captivating that you know how to break us down even when we've been so idolatrous. And so would you do that? As we come to this table, as we confess sin, that you would give us a taste of the freedom of giving up, of releasing and restraining and resolving. And Lord, even when we don't get it right, that's okay. Um, You just want us. And so help us to come to you right now. In Christ's name, amen.